0: Hello everyone and welcome to Sessions by The Herb Life. If you've been following along our experimental podcast format, you'll know that Sessions is a weekly podcast that brings you a new set of hosts every single episode to discuss everything cannabis. Our aim is to highlight the efforts of mostly women, but everyone really, living, working or playing in the cannabis arena, while also giving you a direct line into the conversations that are changing the landscape as we know it. Today is a super special episode because it is, of course, the finale for season one of the show. And by a happy coincidence, this episode, we pay tribute to British Columbia, a place where cannabis came to thrive. For those of you new to Sessions, my name is Tiana and I like to describe myself as the Sessions facilitator. Bringing people together is my game and I'm eternally grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with the pioneers of the evolving cannabis landscape. But more importantly, through this show, I get to contribute to what I hope is the shifting perceptions around a plant that has been demonized unnecessarily for far too long. Sowing the seeds of cannabis wisdom throughout Canada and abroad was not quite what I had planned. Mostly because I never had the foresight to predict that we would one day be in a situation where a career in cannabis would ever be a reality. But as fate would have it, I set my sights on Canada to work as a producer. And the rest is kind of history. So like my guests today, I'm eternally grateful that by a roll of the dice, I happened to move to what is arguably the most cannabis-friendly place in the world – If you're into cannabis, undoubtedly you would have heard of BC Bud. It's known around the world as top-quality cannabis, a reputation, I imagine, that puts some pressure on BC-based growers. So how do BC producers live up to this gold standard? Well, join us this session as we welcome Dan Sutton, CEO of Tantalus Labs, a British Columbia-based licensed producer of sun-grown, small-batch, long-flowered, slow-dried cannabis. Doesn't that just sound delicious? Raised in BC, Dan brings into his work the essence of the West Coast with a deep respect for the nature around us and a desire to make use of the natural resources in all facets of the growing process. The Tantalus Labs facility is purpose-built to aid in their sun-grown cultivation methods, which combines the use of -of state-of-the-art technology and the latest in scientific advancements with traditional practices to produce high-quality cultivars. Their use of technology to harness environmental resources is ushering in an era of sustainable cannabis for a sustainable future, and it's one that will hopefully be replicated by many more to come. Dan might have CEO status and the gift of the gab to match, but he's probably the farthest thing from corporate as you can get in an LP. He speaks so highly of his team and has some really impressive words to say about supporting women in the cannabis arena. Today, Dan is joined by Siobhan McCarthy, founder of Blissful Alchemy, a Vancouver-based event space, which is also home to a number of infused workshops. From cannabis topicals and edibles to guided yoga and meditations, the mandate of Blissful Alchemy is not only to provide a safe and comfortable space for people to engage with the plant, but also to engage with the community. Utilizing Siobhan's extensive experience in cannabis formulation, the workshops are designed with sustainability in mind, including locally sourced ingredients and often incorporating multiple uses of the plant through the cooking process. Think leftover decarb cannabis infused chai. The cannabis industry, as we know it today, was built on a collective passion for a plant that has the potential to enrich both the physical and metaphysical facets of life. It's an industry that has been nurtured by this plant's devotees who are often gifted with valuable insight by this incredible plant teacher. This session delves into the mosaic of cannabis science, plant devotion and intelligent curiosity with two of the cannabis plant's most ardent supporters. Speaking of supporters, Sessions is, of course, made possible by the help of our sponsors, Ikaria. CBD oil designed for you. Icaria has a wide variety of oils for you and your pets too. Take charge of your self-care routine with Ikaria's CBD oils and empower yourself to enjoy the life you deserve. Rainmaker, that is R-N-M-K-R, is Canada's leading cannabis communications agency known for providing narrative creation, media relations, brand strategy, and advisory services to the most prominent brands in North America and overseas. Are you thinking of growing your own cannabis? Well, grow organically with Sonoma Seeds. You'll find the best cannabis strains from around the world at sonomaseeds.com. HEMPA. It's the best 420 subscription service and online head shop. Their experts hand-pick 10 items every month to pack into your HEMPA box, delivering $100 of value for only $29.99 right to your door. All boxes are shipped in plain packaging since HEMPA values your privacy as much as their own. Visit HEMPA.co for more info. Now, before we get into the last sessions episode, I'd like to extend my sincerest thanks to every one of you listening to Sessions. Making a podcast takes a lot of time and effort. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that is done, and we particularly appreciate those who have taken their time to leave reviews, both positive and negative. Your feedback helps us shape the future of Sessions. Now, as you know, we have been running a competition this season, giving away a number of HerbLife magazines, and the time has come to award the grand prize, a PAX vaporizer, to one lucky winner. So I'll have a drum roll, please. Congratulations to Fickle Philosophy. You've just won a very cool PAX vaporizer. It's the first prize I've ever given away. In the meantime, while we're herding the next lot of great cannabis hosts for season two, you can find tons of great content on the Herb Life website. Make sure you sign up to the newsletter where we'll be posting upcoming news about session season two and follow us on whichever social channels we have in common. Without further ado, I'll pass it over to Siobhan and Dan.
1: Hello and welcome to the Herb Life sessions. I am so very, very excited to be here this afternoon. I am Siobhan McCarthy and I am the CEO and founder of Blissful Alchemy. And I am over the moon excited to have. The amazing Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs as our guest today. Hi, Dan.
2: Hi, Siobhan. Really glad to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with you and your listeners.
1: Absolutely. I am over the moon excited to have you on board. I have really been watching your company for quite some time and seeing how you are iterating and evolving and growing. And so if you could maybe introduce yourself to our listeners who might not know you or Tantalus Labs, can you just give us a quick rundown?
2: Sure. My name is Dan Sutton. I'm the CEO and founder of Tantalus Labs. We're a greenhouse cultivator of medical cannabis and recreational cannabis, and we live in the Fraser Valley in beautiful Maple Ridge, BC, where we've purpose-built this glorious 75,000-square-foot purpose-built cannabis greenhouse. We designed it for about two years before we ever put shovels in the ground, and in it we grow sun-grown, small-batch, long-flowered, slow-dried cannabis that we hope uh, represents some quality product in the British Columbia marketplace.
1: Fantastic. And so how did you originally come to cannabis? Well, cannabis has been
2: a part of my life probably since my early teens. I'm a Vancouver boy born and raised. And as a result, it was just sort of culturally relevant as we were going out and experimenting and exploring uh, different ways to alter your mind. And so I think that like my relationship with cannabis really deepened when I was at UVic, uh, playing sports there and studying economics and just found it to be such an awesome mitigator of the inevitable stresses that come along with university life. Uh, and also there's some pretty amazing cannabis in South Vancouver Island, like perhaps the best in the world. And so it was really great for me to get an education, you know, not only in, uh, in the use case of, of THC and other cannabinoids, but also, you know, what's good and, and uh, what quality cannabis really comes to represent. So I think it's sort of always been uh, a part of my life, you know, for as long as I can remember and having such a strong culture with it here, even if you weren't a cannabis user uh, in Vancouver or or in Victoria, you know, you probably got a pretty good education in what good quality cannabis is anyway, because it's, uh, it's really, we're lucky to live in one of the most liberal places in the world around cannabis stigma and, and, uh, and sort of treating it as an important part of a lot of people's day to day lives.
1: Absolutely. I think we're kind of spoiled. I almost feel like at my household, there's the salt, there's the pepper, there's the cannabis, you know, it's just kind of um, part of our our daily and how it's around and how I'm trying to educate my son about it in a responsible way. Um, But I'm curious, what sports were you doing when you were at uni?
2: Okay. So I am a, a 15 year veteran of the the rugby pitch. It was part of my British ancestry that my parents really encouraged me to get into that game. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big guy and I enjoy uh, a little runaround. So I, I played in, in high school and university. I played club rugby after university. We've won state championships together. And uh, there's been a a diversity of awesome interactions with that community, which is really strong in BC and candidly is uh, probably a pretty heavy cannabis using community in BC as well for the inevitable aches and pains that come with not just what happens on the field, but what happens off the field too. I think there's probably some uh, cannabis hangover treatment going on in the rugby culture. I don't mind saying, um, but I've also, you know, always loved stuff like boxing and surfing and snowboarding, and you know, it's pretty hard to grow up here and not want to get out and get in the woods and get out in nature. So it's probably uh, one small part of my sporting portfolio, which I'm always trying to augment.
1: That's awesome. I grew up on the side of a rugby pitch. My dad was a big part of the Toronto Saracens, and then a big part of the Golden Oldies as he got older. Um, my uncle runs a club in London, just outside of London, so. I very much would see the incidents that would happen on the pitch and off of the pitch, and can really see how there could be a wonderful correlation of how cannabis could come to the rescue in many regards. It's interesting. I came to cannabis actually as a patient myself. I had been a three time national figure skating champion and then was hit by a car. And it was ironically, it was a surgeon who recommended that I move over to using cannabis because the horrible pain medication they had me on just wasn't serving me. And it was really odd because I'd signed all these contracts as an as an athlete that I would never partake in, in, you know, cannabis, alcohol, or any other thing. I think it was one of the sports where, you know, rugby, you're encouraged to drink skating, not so much. So it was always interesting to me that I came to it from a medical point with a strong recommendation from a doctor where before in my experience, it was like, it was a total no go zone. But I've been living out here for well over 20 years. And I feel very spoiled and fortunate to have been kind of, reared in the wonderful world of BC. Bud, I think we are really, really lucky to be the connoisseurs that we are because there's just so much beautiful history and the legacy of uh, how cannabis has been such a great part of our community, I feel. So um, you said you also studied economics. Talk to me about this.
2: Yeah. So my uh, academic background was economics. I will admit that I was never the most academic person. I think I probably carried a B average with as uh, little work as possible to get through it. But towards the end of my degree, I really took a keen interest because you know economic models are a really interesting way to evaluate a lot of different aspects of life in the world. And it kind of requires a, a deep insight into statistics and logic and those aspects of that field of study really interested me. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's it's a cool way to frame up how to make decisions with often limited data inputs, like you're never going to get perfect information and economics teaches you to try to how to make the best possible decisions you can. Uh, but, you know, I graduated in 2008, which is probably the toughest time in the history of modern capitalism to try to get into the finance industry. Uh, and as a result, it forced me to take that thinking and apply it to other industries, innovation industries. I worked in uh, nuclear power uh, in the form of technology design for a few years with a really uh, cool team of people that care a lot about clean energy. Uh, and then I worked in, in um, the supply chains for batteries high field magnetics in a in a similar context in the rare earth business. Uh, so yeah, economics was fun. I think that it's it's something that we should teach at least an introductory level in high school because it kind of gets you thinking about the way people interact with each other in a market-based economy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, when we get into the finance aspect and we look at different LPs in Canada, you've chosen to stay private. You've not gone public and do you mind speaking to that?
2: Sure. So, you know, I'm not inherently posed to public companies. Um, I was involved with public companies when I was younger, in my in my early to mid twenties, and had some great success, and then some frustrating failure. And the thing about it is, I think it can really encourage, especially young companies, to think in the really short term, uh, and that's not really valuable at the beginning of a nascent industry where you know. It took five years for us to even get to a place where legalization was going to be a reality from the transition of commercial cultivation in the MMPR. And it's probably really going to take five more for for us to see any semblance of market stability or, you know, like, well, we we're going to be in a growing market, you know, here in Canada in a variety of contexts for the next five years. So... The reason why we elected to stay private you know as long as we have and, and in, a, in an ongoing way although we're always kind of evaluating what our best costs of capital are and, and how we can best empower our team and potentially other teams and partners so it's it's not a promise that we'll stay p- private forever um, but I just wanted to be able to bring uh, a semblance of stability around cash flows and understanding that there was a real fundamentally strong business at the core of whatever public market story we might eventually tell and Moreover, uh, I just knew that at the beginning of Tanala Labs, I would have to spend 70% or so of my time as the CEO focused on public markets and corporate finance related activity, and I really love building stuff and like building this team and watching them build this company and and helping them build this company has been the greatest joy of my professional life. Like it's such an exciting thing to be able to be an operator CEO and someone who gets to spend, you know, (laughs) 10 to 15 hours of their day. I don't mind saying, uh, figuring out how to solve these problems and, and build at the, at the core of it, a, a great agricultural business that's cultivating quality product that then allows us to have that baseline for, for the other aspirations to grow our business, uh, in a, in a more professional context.
1: See, and I, I really love this about you. I mean, I've worked with LPs. I was um, I was the, the sales and marketing manager um, at one of them. And, you know, what I found really interesting in my experience meeting with all of the LPs because part of my job was trying to get them to test with us was that there were many who didn't know a lot about the plant. They came from mining. They came from forestry. They came from other backgrounds, but didn't necessarily, um, I mean, there've been many who were like, oh God, I wouldn't smoke it for the life of me. And they didn't actually know a lot about the plant. And so what inspires me and really excites me about you and what you're doing at Tantalus is that... It's not just about the pomp and cirque of the business, but there's also this, you know, why we're in the business and it's back to the plants. And, you know, you yourself are often posting on social of your experiences as a consumer, as well as somebody who's a producer. And so it's that transparency that I think creates trust within the community, especially at a time when we're burgeoning a new industry where... There's been a lot of change in a very short period of time, and it's only going to iterate accordingly. So, what year exactly would you say that Tantalus was founded? Like, when did the idea kind of permeate within you to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life?
2: Yeah. So, I, I was working um, in a more sort of corporate work environment uh, in my mid 20s. I was 26 when I founded Tantalus Labs, which was seven years ago, actually, this month. So, April of 2012 was when. Uh, the idea really started to move from concept into uh, reality in its own momentum. And uh, that was about a 120 person company and a very kind of rigid structure. They all came from MBA backgrounds and, and more sort of corporate professional experiences. And I guess I just wasn't that happy there. And our relationship ended. And I realized, like, you know, what do I want to do with my time on this planet? Do I want to work for somebody else, build their thing? Do I want to gain experience in a certain region. And I thought, you know, cannabis, the the notion of the MMPR had just just sort of started to formulate. It was a year before the original applications came through. And I knew that like as a newcomer into this business, I was going to have to pay homage to a deep Cultural history, and you know, create something that British Columbians could be proud of. If that was, if that was what I was going to do, and this was before all the stock market hype, and before we knew that there was going to be sort of overnight successes without a whole lot of um, substance to them, uh, there was going to need to be a deep commitment. And I was at a, a cool part of my life where I was inspired and smart and had some resources, but uh, didn't have a, a really clear direction. And so I think I just fell in love with the notion of being able to write a textbook. I, I was like, "Look, I can get some really cool academics behind this. I can get some cool uh, agricultural minds. I've I had faith at that point that we would find great cannabis minds, which we have, and, and we've attracted such amazing talent. You know, from that legacy marketplace, people who really deeply care about iterating towards a brighter future, even for British Columbian genetics, which today are already amazing. Um, and that, I think, is what." really attracted me most to it is that there was no rules, there was no box, we had to build the box and then break it and then build it again. Um, And that's what we've been doing for the last seven years. And, and it's uh, an amazing journey. The team building part is definitely my favorite aspect.
1: It's so amazing to build a team. Um, It's interesting, because you had mentioned to me just before we started that I actually went to school with your brother. And back in the day, when I was doing that work, there was a textbook that came my way that from a psychology class called Please Understand Me. And it's that book that's helped me so much in my career of building teams because it really kind of under outlined your A personality, your B personality, and all your different personalities and how to stack a team based on a psychological profile. You don't want to have a team all full of A personalities. You know, you need to kind of stack it accordingly. And so I find that's probably one of the most exciting things that I love of working with I, I come from film originally. So every new project or new kind of Um, film that we're doing or every new theater piece that we're doing. It's always, I look at it as a new startup, a new company, a new kind of project that we're putting together and you have to stack that team accordingly. And so even back in the day, I'd be like, you know, that could be the most talented person ever, but do I really want to spend all this time with them? They're kind of a jerk. Like maybe I need to take less talent, but more personality to get through my day. And, you know, it's kind of really fascinating to understand people, to figure out what makes them tick, what their passion is and how to bring them together to work in a really proactive way as a team. You know, not all people are meant to be a part of a team. And so it's really interesting to see how to stack people accordingly. So I'm just really curious as we chat, where did the name Tantalus come from?
2: A question that I get frequently enough. Um, So (laughs) Tantalus, no, I love telling this story. Uh, Tantalus is the name of a mountain range in between Squamish and Whistler. It's been the outdoor venue of uh, many awesome adventures. It's the backdrop to uh, the tip of the house sound. So you can have ocean fun. You can have mountain fun. Uh, There's downhill mountain biking, backcountry skiing, hiking, all kinds of good stuff happens in the Tantalus mountain range. And uh, you can actually see it. From English Bay, on a really clear day, you can just sort of look over the back of um, Black Mountain at, at Cyprus and uh, and see the Tannels Range peeking out, you know, gorgeous kind of craggy, paleo-glaciated peaks uh, that really represented British Columbia in my mind. And so when we think of those outdoor experiences, we always kind of came back to this reprieve that you get from your... Your daily monotony or the white noise in your life, and that was really, I think, intuitively aligned with with what we want to deliver in terms of cannabis experiences, and and whether that be a reprieve from a medical condition that is you know making you suffer, or it's just a reprieve that you're getting on a Friday afternoon with your friends. You know, we we think that cannabis can make so much good in people's lives, and when used responsibly, it can be such an impactful thing. I mean, I know that in my life, uh, I was actually just in Europe for a week and didn't have access to. To cannabis and it was nice to get a little break but i re- recognize you know we're so so lucky to have this in our lives and to have such good quality product in our lives in this province and so tantalus is kind of that breath of fresh air uh for us and and that's that's really the the origin story of the name it's also a greek mythology about a guy who gets stuck in a knee-deep water and he can't reach this really awesome tasty fruit and a lot of people have said why did you name it after this greek tragedy and i said i oh, just to tantalize you
1: yeah, there you go. Something to look forward to, right? Always iterating for something better. And so um, you speak to that kind of experience and the you know, the cannabis experience. And I really love to see what you're doing in the community. You're doing a lot of different community engagements. You've got Emma doing wonderful things. I had the good fortune to kind of work with your team to do a, a company kind of like an engagement to get the word out there about topicals. And so you have something new coming up for 420 with trichomes and some crazy things happening. So talk to me about this. How and why do you want to create more of these kind of installations and community engagements?
2: So in fairness, this is all the brainchild of our uh, highly talented community manager, Carly Fallman. Uh, She was uh, an addition to our team about six months ago as we decided that you know, there's all these weird marketing spends going on. We've never been a huge amount, uh, a huge fan of kind of yelling from the rooftops with with loud megaphones that we pay a lot of marketing dollars for. We just sort of think that you know, quality product drives its own conversations, and and that is something that needs to happen. You know, with a reputation that gets built over time. So we're okay to play a slow, slower marketing strategy. But Carly came on and, and really showed me the light, and showed our creative director that. Uh, the ability to actually interact with people in spaces and let them see and feel the brand, and see and feel the brand's collaborators, uh, is is going to be just such an interesting traction opportunity and we get to actually see and meet the people who care about what it is that we do or what it is that our collaborators do. And I'm so glad that we've we've taken that tack. Uh, I think the world of brand is changing really rapidly, which is why I make a point of surrounding myself with people that are, are thinking about it in new ways. And I'm so lucky to have this team that get to yeah, educate me, right? Like I'm, I'm learning so much from uh, from the bright minds in our camp. And uh, I think the community stuff also, like when it comes to Planet Trichome, which is the event that we're having at the planetarium uh, on the 18th, just before the 420 weekend, like we like to party, we like to listen to music, we like to have fun with people, we like to dance. And so let's do this. Let's be authentic as a company and say, yeah, this is the culture that we came from. I've been a starry eyed raver child since I was a teenager. So you know, let's, let's be honest and, and have a good time with uh, people that care about cannabis.
1: I think it's fantastic. I think it's really important that you're walking the walk as well as talking the talk. And just from my own experience doing that um, infusion workshop and teaching people how to infuse your gorgeous uh, CBD canatonic strain into a coconut oil, you know, I'm still getting emails and I'm still having people coming back to learn more. And I think it's just, it was such a wonderful experience to have that hands-on dialogue with 30 plus people. And so I'm curious if you're looking to be expanding more of these kind of pop-up social engagement experiences in other cities and provinces as well. Is that where you're hoping to grow to, or are you just going to stay local for now?
2: Um, So Tanneless Labs is available in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And we're sort of excited to follow uh, a strategy towards nationwide distribution uh, within this calendar year, uh, because a lot of people want BC Bud and a lot of people want good quality cannabis. I think that, uh, The thing about, you know, laying out a local footprint, it's easy for us in Vancouver, because we've got a lot of friends in this community. And, you know, we grew up here. So these are our people. And as a result, it's also easy to tailor the nature of events, like, you know, learning from you about infusions, was such a cool privilege and I think really captivates the minds of Vancouverites because there's a great DIY culture. There's a great organic food culture. There's a great kind of, you know, desire to, to do artisanal handcrafted stuff. And that knowledge base that you shared inspired a lot of people, not least of all myself. So thank you for that. Um, thank you. I- yeah. Well, It's, you're you good at what you do. That's cool. Anybody who's not, anybody who doesn't, uh, you know, quite have the confidence behind uh, doing their own home oil extractions and also uh, cooking into especially topicals and a variety of other great food additives, check out Javon. She's killing it. You know, you're you're missing out if you're not. Um, So shameless plug to you. Uh, But if we were to look to do that then in Calgary or in Toronto or in uh, Montreal, we would say, look who are our local advocates that already exist there today and how can we empower them to tell their stories? Like I love Toronto whenever I go, you know, I have so many great friends that want to show me what's cool in food, want to show me what's cool with the city. Um, and so I'm sort of a student of Toronto instead of trying to go there and be like, this is who this is, or, or this is who we think it, it is. So that's the nature of community engagement. I think is you've got to tailor yourself in your message to a community. Now, luckily there's a lot of communities that gravitate towards, um, you know, exotic cannabis and British Columbian cannabis. And so I think we're going to find some pretty interesting crossover. And I think uh, everyone's going to going to be excited about what Talos Labs has on its community slate, you know, over the next 18 months.
1: I'm curious to ask in regards to, I mean, you've talked about, you know, your hope for more of a national strategy. Are you also looking from a global perspective of like tapping into other markets when the time is right?
2: So really interesting question uh, and one that I might have a bit of a contrarian view on. I think that the global market for cannabis isn't really there. I think it's definitely not there in the way that uh, large LP pitch decks would have you believe it's there. And I think that it will obviously evolve over time and and we're going to see a globalization of cannabis hopefully sooner rather than later. Maybe it's a 20-year trajectory, maybe it's a 10-year trajectory, but more and more uh, educated economies seem to be moving towards more evidence-based policy on cannabis, which I think is awesome. But I think it's also going to take a lot of time. And the thing about talent Labs is we've never really been super thirsty to be a first mover. I mean, maybe in greenhouse cultivation, we were an early mover, um, but we, and we didn't let you know other people prove it out that when it comes to being the first publicly listed company or the first company to raise a $50 million round or first company to, uh, to be a seller in Europe, you know we have to recognize that today the European market is you know less than a couple hundred kilos a quarter. So because we cultivate cannabis that's differentiated on quality, um, and, and you know our user base is validating that more and more that our differentiation on quality is really the core of any brand advantage that we might have. it's we're gonna we're gonna kind of let that market shape up a bit. And when there is an import economy for export BC cannabis just the same way there is for export Californian wine or uh, export, Grappa from Italy, we will be there uh, and ready to deliver for the high expectations of those customers that have heard about BC Bud, but they've never gotten a chance to touch and feel it. You know, I think that that's a, probably a, a five-year game plan for us. And uh, when the right opportunities come around, we'll be there.
1: I think that's fantastic. I mean, I'm always looking to Israel to see what's happening from a research and development point of view. It always seems they're quite ahead, uh, especially from a topical perspective. And so At this point in time we know tantalus to be the producer of some really beautiful quality um flower and what are you looking to um have for offerings in the future
2: i'm glad you asked so um our flower offerings will continue to evolve we've really just spooled up our genetics engine and and tantalus labs is very interested in you know exotic phenotypes of interesting uh, seed runs we're doing our own breeding uh luckily The greatest cannabis minds in our company, Uh, specifically our cultivation director, is just a a long-time servant of interesting botany and and caring about the cannabis plant in a way that I've never met anyone else who's quite like him. Um, But that's going to be, I think, what underpins our whole product strategy is that we think cannabis chemistries, cannabis flavor profiles, they're really, really beautiful and interesting. And we can continue to explore that, you know, hopefully for decades to come. And so when you see value-added offerings from Tantalus Labs, you know, maybe like a beautiful blonde hash, uh, there's a lot of great hash makers that we'll be collaborating with more and more over time. Raw's and products in the concentrate category, uh, you know, those are going to be hopefully great representations of that cannabis plant at its most perfect. It doesn't really need to be chopped up and reconstituted in our mind. Uh, you know, a beautiful blue dream makes for a fantastic hash input. And so we can just kind of keep on that agriculturally focused path in those categories. Uh, I really like...
1: I have my mouth watering. As you said, blonde hash. I haven't had blonde hash since <laughs> I lived in Switzerland in like 92. So I that's super amazing. I We don't hear a lot of people talking about hash and I, I as I said I'm from Ontario where you often would get the Montreal black hash that would come in and a lot of the great Moroccan hash but and would rarely see flour back in the day when I was growing up but it's really exciting to hear you speak of have hash this way I haven't had any other producer they want to talk about oils and everything else but this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, I'm glad I'm glad to hear it and, and you're someone who cares deeply about cannabis and so if we're exciting you, we're probably on the right track. I mean, I don't think the hash market is massive, but that's not really what we're trying to do. We're trying to do stuff that's worth telling a story about and that's interesting and that's, you know, compelling, uh, an excitable user base, Um, but we'll also be in convenience-oriented categories. Like, I think the vaporization market's really exciting because now you get a chance to take uh, a cannabis experience that is to varying degrees, you know, of of quality, and then be able to deliver it in that convenient form factor. Um, I think... What you'll see in Tantalus Labs' vaporization strategy is that we're really gonna try to emulate uh, the natural chemistry of our plants in a single origin way. So much the same way, you know, if we're making hash, we're not gonna lump a bunch of different cultivars together and then sift it. We're gonna take, you know, just a blue dream, like just a, a flash frozen skunk haze, or you know something that is representative of the same product experience as people have been anticipating from our flower, and then get it to people in a hash format. I think we're going to do try, try to do as close to the same thing as we can uh, with vaporizers, acknowledging that technology continues to evolve and iterate. And without like an exceptional supply chain of partners, we wouldn't be able to do it anyway. Uh, but I would love it if I could just have a little rechargeable, non-disposable pod-based system where I could. Take a, a light puff of some of my favorite talent strains, and then be able to put it away again without you know smelling like weed or having to step outside or what have you. Um, so I think that's going to be super fun, and you know technology is going to really change the way a lot of people consume cannabis. Even though I myself might always be a guy who likes to bust up a joint and roll it with my hands.
1: Um, and so when you spoke earlier in regards to um, I think it's like I'm paraphrasing what you were talking about basically terpene profile, would you be looking to enhance that with the vape offerings in the future as well?
2: I think my favorite strategy around it, like I know that you can use exogenous terpenes, but then you start to run into this kind of almost flavoring type of category. I've always seen distillate plus flavor. Which
1: is illegal, right? You're not allowed to add. The Cannabis Act basically states you can't add any flavor or um, fragrance. So I was just curious if you would be wanting to work in your genetics to kind of build up a terpene profile to be able to enhance that. All uh,
2: right. All right. Yeah, of course. I mean, turpinous cannabis is exciting in flower format. Turpinous cannabis is exciting in oil format, as long as it's carefully processed in a way that preserves that flavor profile. But I mean, I am so excited for what's going on genetically, I think, you know, around the world in California for sure. And then also um, with a lot of interesting breeding going on in BC that is now focused more and more on flavor as the core of sort of the brand offering. You know, I think it's unfortunate that so, much exceptionally flavorful cannabis happens to be really high THC cannabis, because that's alienating a big swath of the user base when you get into those kind of, you know, even the low 20s, but mid 20s, so Kush derived and cookies derived strains, like those are super exciting. And I think they've got, you know, obviously a massive following in the marketplace. But terpenous cannabis is such a better story for me, because it's about flavor. And that flavor You know, if it's an exotic phenotype, it's very hard to emulate. So regardless of the potency level, which I know today is a massive driver of purchase decisions, uh, and a lot of people, you know, still will go in and ask, just give me the, the hardest hitting stuff you have. Uh, I'd love to see the flavors that are present in some of those you know, exotic high THC strains also available in CBD strains and in balanced strains. And I think hopefully you're going to see more and more of that from Tannels Labs. It just takes us a long time uh, to get those products stable. If you want to take a, a seed run and, and select a phenotype and stabilize it for disease resistance and grow it in a greenhouse so you can deliver a consistent chemistries and consistent harvests every time, you know, that could be 18 to 20 months uh, just to get that rocking. It is for us anyway. Maybe we take our time a little bit, but um, no, man, turbines are an exciting, exciting prospect and are going to be evolving a lot over the next couple of years.
1: I honestly see them to be the future. I Just even from a topical perspective, I love to marry the terpenes um, in the cannabis to different other terpenes available in essential oils for that optimal effect. It's just fascinates me that cannabis is such a beautiful adaptogen. And when you compare it with other plants with the same um, kind of... It's the same terpene um, profile, then you really are able to amp up the wonderful benefits from both of those plants or the, you know, the triage or whatever kind of putting together with them. So I, personally- I
2: defer to you. I defer to you on topics of this nature. You know a lot more about that stuff than I do, but I know enough to know that uh, it's it's super exciting to see beautiful flowers with interesting compounds in them so maybe we'll just leave it at that
1: yeah, yeah. and so i'm curious with your vape like are, with your are you going to go co2 extracted are you looking at different approaches what are, what are your thoughts
2: yeah we're evaluating a bunch of different extraction technologies and vape filling vape filling stuff you know with partners without partners independently doing our research as much as we can um and, and play
1: your own guinea pig
2: <laughs> yeah i mean for me i i i will make a point of going to legal jurisdictions in the States where I can test out some of the products that are leading in the marketplace down there and sort of see what strategies they've taken. It's kind of a mixed bag and I don't think we have a definitive strategy yet. We've seen, you know, you do propane based or BHO based extraction in a laboratory environment and you are effectively purging it and you are, you know, creating a product um, that doesn't have any, uh, you know, adulterants, from its processing protocol, then you can get some really great flavor profiles using that technology. I think like terpene only runs and and then CO2 extraction, uh, supercritical or subcritical can yield great results. Oftentimes, it seems to depend on the operator of, of those of those pieces of infrastructure. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I have some people that champion ethanol uh, to still be able to maintain an ongoing flavor process. I don't really understand how that works because I've never seen any ethanol processed cannabis uh, that was particularly flavorful in its in its distillate um but we'll sort of see how it all goes and and i think whatever happens on day one when we launch a product is inevitably going to iterate i think that it's a big nut to crack to get some solventless extracts into a pen you know i understand there's been people that have been doing that and and a pen that you can then re- reuse like you don't have to feel it every time you use it right. and if if and when that really becomes a practical reality uh, which is difficult because of viscosity and other things that i'm sure the vape pen nerds in your audience will be excited by uh when it does get figured out then you're actually able to get someone essentially a plant only solventless uh extraction input. And to me, that's what really excites me. I don't know. I hope that that happens in the next few years.
1: I'm not as well versed in the vape pens. I have a few colleagues who that's kind of their wheelhouse. So I really enjoy kind of cozying up to them uh, for their conversations and learn kind of just by osmosis and by listening and like really paying attention to what they have to say. But it's been interesting to even to see the differences of the pens and how they're kind of coming to the market and how they're evolving and to even see how CBD is being utilized in that way. And I think it's a little bit more picky when it's on its own. It tends to crystallize. It doesn't like the cold so much. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what the R&D will bring, um, as, as, as we iterate as a community. So can I come back and ask more on the topical side and what you might have, uh, coming down the pipe in that regard?
2: Well, it's a good thing you asked because we are light on topical strategy right now. We've been really focused on uh, the sort of few things where we think we can make a really differentiated impact with our full flower inputs. And so uh, we need some advice. We've got to figure out how we approach the topicals market, how we approach the supply chain for topicals. Um, But it's something we're more and more excited by. And you know, for me, topicals outside of cannabis topicals, You know, even down to soap is like not something that I'm very educated on or hyper creative on in my life. And it's because uh, I'm a I'm a dude who keeps very good hygiene standards, but isn't doing a whole lot of moisturizing or bath bombs or other really interesting stuff. And maybe that's the real answer to this. I think that that is a marketplace that is likely going to draw a lot of female consumer interest. I think there's going to be a lot of lady entrepreneurs that are absolutely like bang on with being able to create products that really excite people uh, of their same community and of their same preferences. And so I think that as Tannels Labs goes down the path on that more and more, maybe it won't be a day one product for us, but we always want to touch consumers wherever they live. Uh, it'd be a really cool chance to empower a group of female entrepreneurs who can who could build something that we can then uh, facilitate their supply chain and distribution and things like that. And more and more, I think that Tanel Slabs is interested in getting more bright minds in the camp. You know, we can't do everything ourselves. We're not really interested in a massively vertically integrated, you know, multi-thousand employee enterprise. We want to get uh, cool relationships built where we can actually empower other people that own equity in their own stories And uh, if that could be a group of inspired young women, uh, that'd be, that'd be even better.
1: You know, that really excites me. I mean, one of the reasons why I built Blissful Alchemy was not only because, you know, topicals all of a sudden became officially illegal to sell and I can no longer be in my past position, but it was also that I felt there was a real lack of community, um, like a place for community to come together. And Often, you know, when I had done a little bit of work with canner reps, you know, it was always like, where are we gonna do this? Where are we gonna do this? And so space always seemed to be a challenge. And I knew all of these women who were kind of trying to create their businesses who didn't have a location. So I was like, okay, if I find the location and I provide a platform for other women to kind of build up their 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 businesses, be it education and yoga with cannabis, um, being a nutritionist or whatever, or doing their guided meditations, like, however, I could help them by facilitating the, what they want to do by providing a space. So a community could come together. I thought that was the way to go. Like, I can't do it all. So I'd rather just, you know, in the film community, we always say like, level up higher above you, like, do you know, you don't, you don't hire somebody less than you, you try to hire somebody better than you. So like, They make you look good, Um, and so I think that's really wonderful to hear. I think I see some of the companies out there, and they're kind of wanting to be the top at everything, and and I think then it just tends to water down the brand, and they're spreading themselves thin if they don't have maybe the right leader in that department, so to speak. So, I mean, I think it's interesting. I was talking to somebody from HuffPost the other day, and they were really clear of like they wanted me to help them go through what was legal and what was not legal, because right now, a lot of people are saying CBD is legal, and they can use it. And there's a lot of misinformation in the marketplace right now. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm curious as how that will hinder and how that will hamper um and how it will also help other people with their businesses because we are in such a time of transition and change and not everybody actually really knows or understands what the rules are or that those rules even existed you know so um I'm really curious to see what I know everybody's like, Oh, by the 17th of October, both, you know, topicals and, um, edibles will be legal and they will be in the marketplace. And I just think that's so remiss. When I spoke to the women from HuffPost, I said, you know, today's April fools. And this is the day when you can actually get cannabis in Ontario, but legalization happened on the 17th of October last year. So it's taken almost like six plus months for this to happen. So I'm, I'm just curious to see who will roll up out what and when in the second tier of legalization or regulation, as I like to call it. Are you playing in the edible? Are you doing R&D in the edible world? Or are you also going kind of <laughs> to create some space for other people to take that on first?
2: Yeah, so we're looking at it thoroughly, obviously. Um, and it's it's interesting. I think that Talis hasn't been as bullish on edibles because our general perception was, at least from a cannabis inputs perspective, it's a lot more commodified. Like, you know, 90% of the edibles products that I've ever seen in the States are THC isolated that has been decarboxylated, uh, you know, infused into X candy, gummy, brownie drink, et cetera. And so because uh, there are so many producers with massive supply chain advantages when it comes to creating THC Isolate, we said, look, that's going to be a hard place for us to win. I think there still will be people that win on brand, even if you had like a beautiful artisan chocolate offering that had THC in Isolate as an input, there's still a deeper brand story there. But once again, talent slabs at our core, we're agriculturalists. We're good with cannabis genetics. We care about product differentiation uh, from that more chemistry perspective. And so historically, I've been under the impression that that's a bit of a disadvantage in that category. However, I did travel to Los Angeles uh, three weeks ago now, and I tried a, a Bebo selection of mints that used water hash as its input. And their marketing strategy was actually that a full-spectrum cannabis product had been used to make this edible. And so that pricked up my ears a bit. Uh, And I think that Tanneless Labs will inevitably one day have exposure in the edible space. Um, But once again, it's going to take a team of people who are really dedicated to a product that need cannabis in their supply chain, need cannabis inputs in their supply chain. uh, And Tanneless Labs can really be the agricultural partner that underpins that. Uh, We also, you know hopefully are developing a reputation for having a quality brand. And so being able to help with the distribution and supply chain aspects of it, uh, we just also don't want to do too much too fast, right? I've never once again, taken the first mover approach. We don't need, we don't need to be an aggressive first mover as long as we care a lot about quality. And that, that really permeates a lot of our decision-making. So, you know, there's, there's edible people that are going to be doing co-packing facilities. There's edible people that are going to be doing uh, production runs of specialty products. And, and I think, we're gonna We're gonna see how that market shapes up and people that seem to drive with our culture We're, we're looking forward to collaborating with them.
1: That's fantastic. I don't know. Every time I hear the mints, I think of Chelsea Handler. I don't Have you ever watched that segment where she's like, "I just have to eat mints that are infused to be able to tolerate really annoying people that I don't like And then you see her, <laughs> of course. Yeah, And I mean her medicated dinners are
2: wicked. like she just cracks me up left right and center. She's awesome, Uh, but yeah, man. I know how the feel. I know how it goes. Sometimes I have to be in meetings where it would just really help if I was a little bit stoned.
1: (laughs) Elevated, elevated.
2: (laughs) Sure, whatever. Yeah, I say stone. I say elevated. I say weed. I'm, I'm the worst for that stuff. I say strain. I just, you know, I'm trying my best to to be articulate, but I also have my own historic slang. I can't get over it. Well,
1: I think that's it, right? If we've been in the industry for as long as we have, and we've been utilizing a certain lexicon, it's a bit of a mind bend to kind of bring the new words out of the mouth. Like my tongue still wraps around variant and cultivar rather than strain. You know, Um, it's an interesting time and I'm super curious to see where we will go next. So I think we're at the point where we should be wrapping up, but I just wanted to say, I can't thank you enough for your transparency, for your passion, for how you're bringing an element of responsibility and sustainability to our industry. I just thank you for being a leader. I I'm I'm absolutely uh, really blown away by the quality and the wonderful team that you have around you, and I I'm excited to see what comes next from Tantalus Labs.
2: That's so generous of you. Thank you very much, and thank you for being a leader as well. And I'm just lucky to be the mouthpiece for a team of people who care really deeply about this plant. They care really deeply about the future of this industry, and uh, I I'm just privileged that in this time in my life but I've been able to surround myself with deep caring people and, and to be able to represent them uh, in running my mouth, which is something I've been always good at. Uh, it runs in the family, actually, as you know. Uh, as a, is there a, Really, it's a dream job for me.
1: Well, again, um, I look forward to the opportunity to chat more. And um, a big thank you to your, you and your team. And um, long may it continue. Right?
2: (laughs) Long way to continue for all of us to the future, the bright future of Canadian legalization, which no matter what the short-term headaches feel like, we are on track to a very bright future.
1: Beautiful. Well, I look forward to chatting more and uh, thank you again for your time and uh, onwards and upwards.
2: Have a great rest of your day.
1: Me too. Take care, sunshine. Bye. Well, that's a wrap folks. Sessions
0: season one. It's been an absolute pleasure serving you all. And I hope you were as inspired as I was listening to Dan and Siobhan. You can find more information on the sessions hosts in the show notes, along with links to their socials. Make sure you give them a follow. And while you're at it, follow the Herb Life as well. For up-to-date info on sessions, sign up to the Herb Life newsletter at herblifestyle.com, where we also have tons of great articles showcasing exactly what the Herb Lifestyle is all about. A big, big thank you to everyone listening. We hope you've enjoyed Sessions and will join us for season 2. Sessions by the Herb Life is a production of Blue Dream Media, produced by Tiana Matliowski and executive producer Jill Pollard.